0: Last week, as we consider what we need to look for as we are uh, reading in the Bible, and specifically we are focused on uh, sentences. So we're going to try and finish that up tonight. Um, We'll get a little uh, English uh, refresher tonight as we uh, deal with specific parts of speech um, that are very, very important as we read, and uh, I think hopefully you'll see why before uh, we finish, but before we do this, I want to know. Um, and if no one has anything to say, you're really going to hurt my feelings. Uh, but if anything, uh, as you've uh, maybe applied some of the things we've been talking about on Wednesday nights to your personal reading, uh, any uh, any helps, insights, anything that you've gotten uh, from any of it? I'm going to cry myself to sleep, John. Good. Great. That's the uh, out of everything. That's the major um, point. Is is context is king in our reading. Uh, so all of this is pointing toward how do we determine context? How do we figure out context? So, uh, big picture. That's uh, that's good. Any anyone else? Good. 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 Excellent noticing the repetition a little bit more as you as you read and certain verses uh you know that stands out more than others but uh, that's important to help us to understand the flow of a passage and what the writer is saying Mm mm-hmm. mhm sure Sure, good. All of this will help us get further and further away from the well, this means to me whatever well, it doesn't matter what it means to you if that's not what the writer intended for it to mean, so we're going to continue to move away from that, and that's uh this is this is all helpful in doing that good anything else exactly sure, sure, great. Um, a lot of times you'll hear um, well-meaning Christians who disagree on specific things in the Scriptures. In the end, they'll say, well, you believe that, I believe this, and, you know, everything's... Um, which, in one sense, there are certain things that we can agree to disagree on. That's, that's fine. Um, but we can't resolve it by saying, well, you believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe, and everything's fine, because one of us is wrong. Maybe both of us are wrong. Um, but to just resolve it in terms of, well, that works for you, this works for me, doesn't, uh, that doesn't work um, because someone's wrong. And if we're pursuing the truth, then we want to get to the bottom of what that is. So unfortunately, that, sort of, uh, that mentality is what it is because um, the assumption is if we disagree with someone on something, that that means we have to fight about it. Well, that's definitely not the case. We don't need to fight about it. Um, we we should, uh, as Christians, be able to disagree in a, a gracious manner. Um, we can argue passionately for what we believe and, and understand from the text. Um, and at the end, still be brothers and sisters and have no problem with that. We should be able to do that. Unfortunately, uh, most often, that's not how it works out. But I think that's why people tend to just dear, clear of wanting to actually get to the text and say, what does the Bible say? And let's dig this out and let's search it and study it out. Instead it's, you know, well, you think that, I think this, and we're done with it. So uh, I think, too, um, you know, through the week I get a lot of questions, emails, whatever, about, you know, what I'm reading this or I'm thinking about this, what does this mean, whatever. I think given these things we've gone through Wednesday night, probably... Seventy-five percent of those questions I get. Um, in time, as we all learn these things and apply them more and more, uh, we'll be able to answer all those questions. Um, that in our our reading and our study, we have more tools to be able to do that for ourselves. So, uh, that's uh, that's our goal here. So, good, good to hear from you. And that this has uh, been um, this has been profitable so far. Uh, so tonight, let's begin with uh, working on uh, conjunctions. Uh, So, uh, a good illustration here. If we imagine the biblical text to be like a brick house, then conjunctions are the mortar that goes in between those bricks and holds them all together. These are um, uh, words like and, for, but, therefore, since, because. Those types of words are conjunctions. Hopefully, uh, we all remember this uh, from school, and uh, some of us teach it on a regular basis. So, you know you remember these. Um, our tendency in reading is to just skim right past these. And sometimes that's fine if you're reading, you know, fiction or something like that. It's, uh, it's those things that um, they make a sentence a sentence, but uh, without them we can kind of get the gist of what's going on, so we just skim right past them. But when it comes to Bible study, Bible reading... Um, we really need to be careful about that, and we need to take into consideration what these conjunctions are pointing to. So, I want to give you some examples in uh, when uh, these things can really matter and make a huge difference in the meaning of a passage, and if we miss it, uh, we can really mess things up. Uh, so, uh, one example the, the conjunction but might identify something that is a contrast. Remember before we talked about one of these things to identify in a sentence was times when there are contrasts. looked at comparisons and contrasts. The word but helps us to determine a contrast. So um, uh, let's look at one of these. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, this conjunction indicates a contrast between the wages of sin, which is what? Death, and the gift of God, which is eternal life. So, that's an easy one. We see the contrast there. This is all held together by this word, but. This conjunction is very helpful to us. Now, other conjunctions. The word therefore or so usually presents uh, conclusions based on something that came beforehand. Um, so whenever you encounter the word, therefore, who knows the silly little jingle? It's helpful, but it's silly. There you go. What's the therefore, therefore we, that's a, a, that's an easy way to remember every time we read that word, why is it there? I need to ask what came before that. So, the word so is uh, very much the same way. So we need to read backwards and figure out the meaning of that. Um, sometimes it's easy to find. It's right there. Other times it's a little more difficult. So uh, here's one that's, uh, that's difficult for us to find out. Uh, Romans uh, twelve one. 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So when he says, therefore, I always want to go to the text and look back um, just before that, the passage before it. And then uh, we get, you know, the end of Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. He goes on this doxological praise. Uh, so what's the what is when Paul comes to this at the end of Romans 11 what uh, what's encouraged that what brought that out of him in his writing other than the inspiration of the Holy Spirit why does he end chapter 11 with this doxology before going into chapter 12 does anyone know another way to ask that maybe is what has he just written about chapters 1 through 11. Okay. He's, he's done a whole systematic theology leading up to the fact that we are justified by grace through faith apart from works of the law. He starts with the condition of man, and he works all the way through these uh, these great doctrines that our faith is based upon, all proving the fact that God saves us apart from our works, apart from our deeds, apart from our desires. Uh, God saves us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So he's writing about this for eleven chapters, and at the end of chapter eleven, he he ponders all that he's written, and he he has this great praise for from him, through him, and to him are all things. Glory be to him forever. Amen. Is how he ends this chapter, and then he jumps into chapter 12 and he says i appeal to you therefore brothers so why does he say therefore what is what is the word therefore saying about everything prior to this what does therefore mean okay You're on the right track. Okay, good. As a result of, or in light of the fact, in light of the fact that uh, Romans 1 through 11 is what it is, now do this. You see this in all of Paul's letters. Here's how every one of Paul's letters, you can mark it down and see it. Every single one of them. First half of the letter is theology. Theology. The second half of the letter is the working out of that theology. Um, so we see the uh, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. The, the doctrine, theology, the practice. Um, so this is where that divide is in Romans. 1 through 11 is the theology. Uh, 12 through 16 is the practice. Because what do we see immediately in chapter 12? He gives this opening statement. We looked at this last week. We're going to look at it again uh, tonight if we have time at the end. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. In other words, he's saying, because of all this, do this. And he goes in t- right away. Um, verse 3 For the, by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith. Um, he gives these exhortations about living life in the body. Um, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. All of these are uh, imperative commands. These are things where he's saying, do this, don't do that. But the only reason he can say that is because we first understand we've been justified by grace through faith apart from works of the law. What would be wrong with Paul's letter if he said all of this up front? What would we be missing? What would the Romans be missing? If this is all we had, we get a letter that is exhorting us to do something that we don't have the ability to do, right? Without the work of Christ justifying me, how do I have the ability to abhor what is evil and to love what is good? Um, To outdo someone else in showing honor? I don't. It doesn't exist within an unregenerate heart. And so the order here is very important. Um, So all of this hinges, the shift here hinges on the word therefore. Because you're justified by grace through faith apart from works of the law, you're able to do these things. If not, then you're not. Uh, and And we can draw that from this reality of what he said is true theologically to how that applies in our lives, so you see there the conjunction, therefore is very, very important uh, let 's look at another one. This one is a lot more simple hebrews twelve one therefore. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So um, look at, Hebrew, look at uh, Hebrews 12 in your Bibles. What comes before Hebrews chapter 12? Chapter 11. Good. What is Hebrews chapter 11? Yeah, uh, a lot of people, they call it the great hall of faith. This is where the writer of Hebrews says, by faith, this person did this. By faith, that person did that. Okay, so how do these two things relate? Someone, someone uh, flesh that out for us. How does chapter 11 relate to chapter 12, and how does it all hinge on this conjunction? Good. Yeah, excellent. Very good the writer of Hebrews tells us right there in verse 1, right? Therefore, since we're surrounded by everyone I just wrote about in chapter 11, since you have all of these great examples, since all of these people have lived by faith and have shown you what it is to live by faith, now let us do this. Let Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. So this time, the conjunction doesn't refer to chapters 1 through 11. It's referring to um, a section right before. And the reason we know that is because the writer of Hebrews tells us right there in that verse. Therefore, uh, since all of these examples exist, now we're able to do that. Okay, so this one is a little bit more clear because he tells us right there in the text. Does that make sense to everybody? Any questions about that? Okay, let's look at another one. Colossians 3:12. Again, these these are ones we'll have to we we'll have to look at to be able to answer the question here. Uh, and if you're reading in the ESV, it says put on then uh then therefore um Work the same in this verse. Put on, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What is the condition upon which we're able to do this? What do we see before then? I'll give you a hint. This comes in the form of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It comes in the form of an if-then statement. Good. If you've been raised with Christ, in other words, if you are a Christian, if you are walking with the Lord, then you can do these things. Then you are called to do these things. In other words, if you are walking in Christ, then uh, you will be holy. Uh, you will have compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. These are uh, these are all what? Where else do we see these attributes? Yeah, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, right? So, if you're a Christian, we'll see these things in your life. Um, so, the word therefore then is, if this is who you are, then this is what's required of you. If then. Those those uh, distinctions, that, that those types of statements are usually divided up with uh, with conjunctions of some sort. So, Colossians 3:12 is referring back to the beginning of chapter 3. Any uh any questions about that? Okay. Uh but let's look at some other conjunctions. 2 Timothy 1:7 through 8. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel of the power of God. I highlighted all of the conjunctions there in that sentence for you. There's quite a few of them. What's, what is helpful about recognizing those in this passage? Just read over this, maybe look at it for a minute, offer some thoughts. What, what do we gain by paying attention to those words that are bold? Okay, what's the connection? That's okay. There's a a major one. We just finished with therefore, so let's settle that one. That's the easy one here, right? What is that saying? What is therefore helping us with here? Mm Mm-hmm. Good Excellent. since this is true, He gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love, self-control. Since that's true, then we need not be ashamed. OK? So we won't be ashamed.'ll we'll walk in, uh, We'll walk in conviction and, uh, and courage and these things. Okay, good. so that therefore is taken care of. What about those other words? Okay. Good, so there, there is a uh, there's something about them that helps us to connect the dots to the reality of where they're coming from. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into the next two sections, um, how to identify some of that. But but they, they string together these things um, to help us tie them back to where they're coming from, right? Okay, what else? What about the word but on the last line there? Is that significant? Sure, in a lot of ways, we kind of have the same, uh, we're kind of working toward the same thing there. Don't be ashamed, but share in the sufferings of the gospel. Uh, There's nothing to be ashamed about. You have a spirit, not of fear, but of power. So don't be ashamed, share in the sufferings. So it helps us to... Connect those uh, to connect those dots. Um, there's really several things going on here in this passage, uh, but if we if we want to get a good grasp, a good if we want to make a good summary statement of what this is, identifying those conjunctions is very very helpful to us. God gave us this spirit. Don't be ashamed, but rather suffer for the sake of Christ. Um, and all of this is by the power of God. Okay, so we see how maybe those are helpful in that. Um, Let's look at another one, Genesis 6, 5 through 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What is the most significant conjunction in this entire passage? Okay, what's that? Okay, what's the conjunction? But. But. I think so. I think the word... Now, there's a bunch of them in this sentence. We can go out and pick all of them out. The word and is in there quite a bit. The most significant, the most important of all of them is this word but... God looked on the earth and all he saw was evil. But there's this man named Noah that has found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There's a big, significant um, spotlight put on this man Noah. And if, you know, as we read through Genesis, we see now this one conjunction shifts the entire story, right? Now all of a sudden we're going to hear all about this man Noah who's found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That is a very significant thing to identify, because Noah is set apart from what else God is seeing on the earth. Okay, good. Now let's uh, let's look at one of my favorite conjunctions. Ephesians chapter two. Okay, how does uh, how does chapter two begin? What, what word? And. What is and? Conjunction, okay? So what do we need to maybe think about if a sentence starts with the word and? Do you let your students start with the word and, Kathy? Do you let them start sentences with the word and? <laughs> so when we see it, we need to pay attention to it, right? There's something going on before this. What is, what is Ephesians 1 all about? We're Calvinists, we should have this one down. What's it all about? <laughs> Yes, we, uh, we've we been chosen by God, okay? we've uh, God has, has, in His love, He has chosen a people unto Himself, uh, unto the praise of His glorious grace. This is the statement that Paul uses over and over through Ephesians 1. So, and, he gets into this and, as a result of that, in other words we could say, um, or because of that, or... Um, Maybe a better way to think of it is um, he's done all of this and he's going to go into uh, despite the fact of what I'm about to tell you. Okay? Uh, he's going he's gonna to really uh, magnify the reality of how great what he has done in Ephesians 1 is by identifying who we are and then again at the end he's going to uh, he's gonna put the, the crown on it to say but despite that here's what God has done. Okay, so go ahead. Yeah, right. Sure, sure, sure. And here's who God is. Here's what God has done, and along with that, that's good. um, Here's here's who you are. Here's what you have been. So what does he say? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Sounds great, doesn't it? We're in good shape. Uh, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind now here is one of the most important conjunctions in all the bible verse 4 the first word first two words but god huge 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 uh, in fact so huge there's i have a book on the book table back there called but god And he goes through all the Bible, wherever you see this this phrase, but God. And he highlights all of those. Because all of them are this pivotal point of the Bible saying, this is who you are. You're a child of the devil. You love your sin. You walk in the flesh. You hate God. You're dead in your transgressions and sins. But God, in light of all that, God did something. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches. You see that conjunction there? So that, he did all this, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This passage is full of these powerful conjunctions that really point out to us this reality. Who did all the work? God did. And... uh, Specifically, God did all of this through the Son, Jesus Christ. For what reason? Okay, to save sin. Was it because we were great and wonderful? Because He needed us? Because we were doing all these things and He just couldn't help but put His hands on us? Uh, no, that, that's not what it says. The reason is because of His great love and in the end, the result of that is that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness. So who is our salvation all about? Is it about us? No. This passage itself tells us that it is so that God's grace and kindness can be shown in Christ Jesus. And if you read this in conjunction with chapter 1, you realize our salvation is... The very fact that we walk with God is all for the purpose of bringing Him glory, to the praise of His glorious grace. It's all about God. It's so important that we see that, and you can see that when you pay attention to these little words that we so often skim right over. Any other questions or thoughts about conjunctions? Hopefully those things will just scream at you as you read now, now that we've uh, pointed them out a little bit. All right, verbs, where all the action is, you're a lively crew, you want to be where the action is, so we'll look at verbs. Verbs are important, they communicate the action of the sentence. Um, so as you read, it's very uh, important to to note the action. Um, in this, we want to identify what kinds of verbs are used. So, speci- specific things we're going to ask of any verb. Is it past, present, or future? In other words, what is the tense? I went, I go, I will go. Okay, those are important, and we'll see why in the text in a bit. Does it present a, a progressive action? In other words, something that is ongoing. I was going, or I am going, or I will be going. Is it imperative? Go. Um so those things are important to note. Specifically in those, you want to be really sure that you identify the imperative verbs because most often those are the things that God, through his word, is commanding us to do. It's not I will do this or you should do that. It is do this. That's very important. Or don't do this. Um Now, sometimes there are imperative verbs, but they're not necessarily very explicit. They're implied in the text. So let's look at Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what is the command? There's a command here. What is it? Okay. So we want to bear with one another in love. What what else is tied to that imperative? What's implied? That's the that's that's what we narrow in on. It says do this, but what else is implied there? There's more to that command than simply bearing with one another. We do it in love, but how else does he say to do it? Okay, we want to be eager to do so. What else? What's that? Okay, uh, obviously that that's. Um, uh, An action there that we're going to maintain this so that's something that's going to continue to go on. There's a progressive, uh, there's a progressive sense to that. Absolutely. What else? Okay, Uh, that the the bond of peace is present through the Spirit of God, and we're doing all this with humility. We're doing all this with gentleness. We're doing all this with patience. Now, if I take all of those out and I just deal with um, the verb itself. Uh, I'm not going to get the whole picture here, right? I can bear with you and maintain with you, right? Uh, That could go any sort of ways, right? There are some specifics in here that say, do it this way. Okay, so the implication when we see those words is most likely that the Lord is going to tell us how to do what he has commanded us to do. Bear with one another another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Well, how do I do that? With all humility, gentleness, and patience. So sometimes it's in the same verse. Other times we'll see it as it follows on. Another important thing to look for is whether they're active or passive. So um, active verbs. Bill hit the ball. Passive verbs are the ones that the subject is acted upon. So Bill was hit by the ball. Um, this is very important in Paul's letter. Uh, it's often uh, something that designates uh, the difference between something that we're called to do or something that God has done for us. Uh, passive verbs are the ones that underscore the things that God has done for us. So a few examples, Colossians 3.1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So what are the, uh, what are the verbs we see here? Okay, seek. What else? Raised. These are the two biggies, right? Okay, so what are those verbs? Uh, What kind of action are they pointing to here? Let's look at the first one. What kind of verb is that? Okay, passive, right? So that implies what? Who did that? God did. It's a passive verb. If then you've been raised with Christ. Well, I didn't do that. God did that. What about seek? Active, which means what? I have an imperative here, right? Something I need to do. Also, what do we see here? We see an if then statement, right? If this has happened, then do this. So maybe now we're seeing how some of these things are starting to come together a little bit more. So God did this, therefore you do that. That's what we see in Colossians 3.1. Ephesians 1.11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. What do we see here? Okay. We've obtained... What else? Okay. Okay. What do all these point to? Obtained active or passive? Okay? It's passive. Is it what tense is it in? Okay? So we have a past tense passive verb here. So, uh, I know that's a bunch of uh English jargon there, but what what does that imply for us? This is so important as we read. Good. This is something that has already been accomplished on our behalf. We didn't do it. Someone else did it. Having been... Now he's going to say how. Predestined. Again, the word itself answers the question, but uh, when when and how did this happen? Was it our doing? No. It's something God did. According to... Why did he do it? For the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Okay, so these verbs in this passage are so important. They these verbs divide two different schools of theology. (laughs) So, who's doing the work here? Uh, God is. It seems very clear when we look at these verbs in their context. Another one: Genesis twelve three. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, and you, and in You, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Okay, so what do we see here? Okay, I will bless. Say again. Okay. Anything else? That's good. Who, (laughs) this one's kind of easy. The subject's identified for us. Who is this? Sunday school. God, <laughs> Jesus, yeah. God, God is doing this, right? I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Okay. So, what is uh, what kind of uh, verb? What what tense are these? Okay, yep. There's an action there. It's uh, active or passive. Passive. Good. What tense? Say again? Okay. There's a present uh, and future tense to this, right? So we can apply. If someone does this to you, I will do that to them, is what we get from that. Okay? So again, we see these if-then statements coming into play. Very, very important. All right. Any questions about verbs? Hopefully you remember these things. You never thought you'd ever use this stuff again, really. It's very important as you study the Bible. Very important. All right, pronouns. Oh, man, I really want to get to Romans 12. We did this last week. All right, pronouns. It's important as we look that we identify pronouns. I'm really going to get technical here. And as we do that, we want to identify the antecedent. In other words, to who or whom is the the, the pronoun relating to? Now, I did one of these for you on Sunday morning. I don't know if you remember it. I'll point it out to you. Uh, here tonight. I, I did this very thing because it means so much in the context of that passage. So, um, for example, Ephesians 3 1. Here's, here's what we're looking at. Who are the hour and us that are written about in Ephesians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All right. So, who is. Uh, our you have to know I have it open here ok good we see that in verse 1 to the saints who are in Ephesus ok so he's writing to Christians right ok so the the pronoun is our the antecedent is who that's referring to that's the saints in Ephesus ok blessed be the God and Father of our to the saints of God Uh, Our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who's the word who pointing to? Jesus Christ, right? That one's right there. Who has blessed us, us again, we're pointing back, that's not changed at all, right? Pointing back to the saints in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All right, so hopefully you, you did those in school, you remember that a little bit. We've always got to tie this back. All right, so... Um if we have time we'll get to that passage I put there. Let me let me show you the one that I, I pointed out Sunday morning in Luke chapter one. Uh Luke one verses sixteen and seventeen. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Okay, there's a lot of pronouns here, right? And he, so let's start with that one. Who's he? John the Baptist. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him. Who's he and who's him? Okay, he is John, and him is, yeah, Jesus, but what does it say here? This is why this is so significant. The Lord their God. Why is that important? Why is it important to recognize how Luke wrote that? What is he implying about Jesus? That he's God. Uh, Good, good. Good verse. I, I'll look. I think that the New World Translation, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, didn't. They they skipped that one. They forgot about that one. So uh, when they say Jesus isn't God, yeah, well your your translation says he is right here. Um, so these little things are very important to pick up on. When we're looking at pronoun antecedent, we need to identify those. Right here, Luke is identifying right out of the chute at the beginning of his gospel account. By the way, I just want you to know Jesus Christ is the Lord our God. That's huge. That's really big. Very easy. You see how easy it is to just skip right over? Uh, those little things are really important. All right, we only have a little time, so I think we can figure that out. Uh, Philippians one there. Go to uh, go to Romans twelve one and two. I attached for you there. Oh, here's the. Here's the chance we have to put it all together, okay? I want you to think about all the things that we've, uh, we've covered, these nine things that we need to look for in sentences. So uh, someone probably has them all there before us. What were the first two things the first uh, three weeks ago we looked at? Repetition of words and contrasts, okay? And last week we looked at, Comparisons? Yeah. What else? Lists? Good. Cause and effect? Good. Alright. Figures of speech? Good. And then tonight, conjunctions, verbs, and pronouns. So, nine very important things to identify when we're reading sentences. So, here we have these sentences from the Apostle Paul, Romans 12, 1 and 2. We looked at this once, now we're going to uh, if you have that one, you can pull it out and add to it. But um, find as many of these things as you can. I put a little note at the bottom of your uh, previous page. The first step in tackling a biblical text is to make as many detailed observations as possible. We want to dig deep and to see as much as possible. And as you get into the text, make as many observations as you can. Spend time in the passage. Each sentence has dozens and dozens of details just waiting for you to observe. Read it, write these things down, read it some more, look some more, keep reading, keep digging. What have you missed? Something's there that you have missed, I promise you. Uh, when I was in school, I uh, got to a place where this drove me crazy because I had a professor who said, "You have you have 3 sentences and you have to turn in 100 observations, and they have to be real observations." Man, you get to about 50 or 60, so I don't know what else is here. It's still there. Keep digging. Keep finding. So there's a lot here. So let's spend some time. Romans 12, 1, um, you work on it. Maybe you can talk to the person sitting next to you, help each other out, see what you come up with. Look at a few of them because we're we're out of time here. So what, uh, what are some observations you made? Who's I? Paul. Good. Appeal. What do we see there? Okay. A verb, a very strong, active verb. Um, what is implied by it? I'm appealing to you. What am I doing? Okay. It's almost a sense of begging you to do something, right? I am, I am urging you. Uh, I think some translations even say that. I urge you, brothers. Okay. Um, to you. Who, who is you? Who's he writing to? Okay. Roman. He's, uh, in this context, he's writing to the Romans, the church at Rome, but he calls them brothers. Therefore, it's the Christians at Rome. Uh, therefore, we already, we already looked at that earlier. So I have, if uh, you can see mine here, the word brothers, I have these little arrows all over the place. Every time, uh, this is me identifying the antecedent of the pronoun You or your okay always pointing back who is this who is this pointing to Uh, brother he's constantly referencing you your uh, your bodies your spiritual worship your mind that you may discern okay all of these things tied back to this word brothers now right up front there do we see some kind of cause and effect relationship in that first sentence okay uh, by the mercies of God, there's the cause, right? What's the effect? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, okay? Can we do that? One has to happen before the other, right? It's by God's mercy that we can present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Good. Um, we see, uh, what are the word. what are the, um, I'm just kind of batting around here. What are, what are some of the words that we see repeated regularly through here? Okay, God is very prominent in this one, right? Okay, acceptable. Sure, we see that twice. You and your. Yeah, that's all throughout there. Okay. Um, Figure of speech. You see any figures of speech? I think the big figure of speech here really is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, Um, Because when... If I tell you to present your body, what do, we, what do we automatically assume? We're thinking in the physical, right? Is that necessarily what's being implied here? No, not necessarily. This is... Um, what, is what is Paul saying? That you give your life over to these things. As a result of all of this great theology and how we're saved, therefore, all of everything you are, give to these things to being transformed by the renewing of your mind, to not be conformed to the world. Okay, So, uh, look, we've not even gotten through the first line there, and there's a lot more to dig out. So, um, if nothing else, by the end of all this, you guys are really going to understand Romans 1 and 2, uh, from uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, um, hopefully. So... I'd encourage you keep digging, keep finding these things. Maybe sit down one night with the family this week and, and continue to work these out and see what other things you can find. There's a list in here. Uh, there are uh, there are there's cause and effect statements um, all throughout this thing. There's some contrast built in there. Um, there's uh, you know the repetition of words. Uh, some some really important conjunctions. All these things exist in these two verses. So. Uh, maybe if you have some time, you can work through those and uh, share them with us next week. So any, uh, any other thoughts, uh, questions, anything before we close?